Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike Young, your host. In this episode, we chat to former Australian F-18 Hornet pilot, Matt Hall. In part one, Matt chats about his initial flying training, getting selected for the Hornet, the role of the aircraft with the RAAF, his flying training, DACT, and much more. So if you like what we do here and would like to support the channel while getting early and extra content, you can do this by donating monthly at patreon.com forward slash aircrew interview. Thank you and enjoy. So Matt, when did you first become interested in, in aviation? Oh, it was, uh, it was when I was just a, a little fella, actually. Um, my granddad and dad were both pilots, so I spent, um, you know, ever since uh, I was um, basically able to walk, I was hanging around at airfields with my dad going flying. So from a very young age, like a lot of pilots, you know, from a young age, hanging around their dad at, at an airport. Yeah. So what year did you actually join the Air Force? Joined the Air Force in 1991, January of 1991. In fact, it was the the day I joined the day that the first Gulf War started. Uh, oh, wow. I was doing it in the recruiting in the recruiting process, and they came in and said, "Hey, uh, just so you all know that uh, America just uh, went in and uh, um, tried to liberate Kuwait, and there's there's shots fired, and welcome to the Air Force." It's like, ooh. <laughs> so you'll never forget that day, then. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So yeah, can you talk us through some of your the basic aircraft you uh, started training on? Um, so the the first plane that I started training on in the Air Force was uh, it's called a CT four actually. It's um uh, it's a it's from down this way. Uh, yeah, originally designed in Australia and then the rights were sold off to New Zealand. Then Australia bought them back. Um, but it's just a, a little continental side by side trainer, um, very much like a lot of the. Um, the, the trainers from 30 years ago, uh, yeah, aerobatic, big bubble canopy, um, and we did about 60 hours on that, and then went to, uh, that was at uh, number one flying training school. Then number two flying training school was on the PC-9, which most people will be familiar with, the PC-9. Um, and that's that was the aircraft that you got your wings on, and then from there you got streamed into fighters or transport, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So obviously you got streamed into fighters because uh, I want to talk about the Hornet. So what were your first thoughts on the aircraft? Uh, beautiful plane. Um, you know, it's a, a, magic, a magic aircraft, the Hornet. Um, you know, I'd, I'd seen it in air shows and, um, you know, when I was growing up and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, um, yeah, it was, it, was a new, it was a new aircraft back then as well. Um, and it was just... It's, I think it's a beautiful looking aircraft, the Hornet. It, um, you know, it's a, it looks amazing. And then um, the first flight I had in a Hornet was I was just a backseat passenger flight um, while I was waiting to go on to my conversion. So that, you know, the two seaters uh, just throw uh, young pilots in, in the backseat just to go on the rides. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what struck me uh, in the first flight was that um, the, the, uh, the power lever was um, – in in all the flying I'd done previously in the CT fours and the and then the PC nine then the Mackie uh, the three two six Mackie was you push the power up and the noise increases and then you watch <laughs> the airspeed indicator move. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the Hornet you move the power lever and it was basically an acceleration lever. It wasn't it wasn't a, a noise lever because you can't hear the engines there behind it. You know, so it's just it's just aircon. But if you push the power up, it's just like poof, like that instantaneous. <laughs> so your your body would move instantaneously with the throttles, um, 
and that that was the first thing that struck me was the hornet was that um you know like all modern fighters is that uh you know the the throttle yeah you're controlling up to you know 50 50,000 pounds of thrust with that with this much movement of the, yeah. of the throttle so there's a huge amount of power going in and out of what's relatively light you know one to one uh, power you know, to weight ratio aircraft you really feel that kicking in Mm-hmm. And was the Hornet the aircraft you wanted to go on to, or did you fancy the F-111? No, no, it was definitely the Hornet. I was offered the F-111, and um, I chose the uh, the Hornet. Um, yeah, I, I've always I'd always seen myself as more of a, a fighter pilot, uh, single single cockpit sort of stuff. Yeah, I grew up I grew up flying aircraft, and um, you know my fa- my favourite aircraft to fly until I joined the Air Force was the Pawnee, which you know, a single seat crop duster, towing gliders. And I just loved the, I loved being on my own in that aircraft and I, I flew single seat gliders and the thought of flying a single seat fighter was, um, you know, just, yeah, I loved, I loved Mustangs and Spitfires and mm. yeah, it was just, it was where I was going, you know, a bubble canopy, single seat um, and rolling around the sky, you know, the sky's a playground. Uh, whereas the F-111, I've flown the F-111, um, you know, just on a, on a, on a flight, um, amazing plane, but it's, it is a bomber, you know. It's mm. it's a it's a big, heavy aircraft. Whereas the the F 18s um, you know, it's just uh, the world is your oyster when you're flying an F eighteen. That was great. You actually got offered both aircraft as well. That must have been pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, it was in the a period of time where um, you know there were spots on both both types. So yeah, I was I was I was offered the the F one eleven, and uh, in fact, I had to um, turn down. Uh, an acceleration of uh, of courses, uh, so they were basically, hey, we'll put you on this course, and then you can go straight on with the F one eleven as a very young guy because there's a spot there right now for you to go on. And I turned that down and and went into a holding pattern for a year to wait for a slot on the Hornet because they had a backlog of Hornet uh, people mm-hmm. going onto the Hornet, but they were needing people to go on the F one eleven. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I actually turned down the slot and waited for another year to uh, to get my go on the F eighteen. So yeah, what was the actual role of the Hornet with the Australian Air Force at this time? Um, so we've always held the Hornet as um, as a multi-role, which was you know it's a regional design, um, but uh, obviously land-based. So it's not even set up for carrier operations. You know the launch bar has been removed off the nose gear, um, <clears throat> but it's um, it's multi-role. So it's um, you know, interdiction. It's uh, it's uh, close air support. Yeah, you know, all of the air to ground type things, but it's then um, also yeah, air, air superiority. So setting up combat air patrols, um, yeah, escorting the F-111s into the target area. Um, you know, all all of the above, uh, which then came to uh, yeah, seed missions. You know, kill box missions uh, in more modern times. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of um, flying training would you be uh, conducting uh, before you got put onto your frontline squadron? Yeah, it, it's so it, you go through a six-month training course on the F-18, which is called uh, Operation Conversion, uh, OPCON for short. Um, and then the first, it, there's three phases to that. The first phase is learning how to fly the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so pretty much um, being able to fly at daytime, nighttime, good weather, bad weather, um, um, in in close formation and in tactical formation with a wingman. Um, because if you can't do that, there's no point going on to the other bits and pieces. Um, that then now, you, and that's when you get your instrument rating on the aircraft. You know, I think it's you know, your third flight's your first solo, and then about your sixth flight is your instrument rating test. 
Right. And then you do another another five flights of consolidation, including formation, and then hey, you convert it on the aircraft. You can now fly it. You can now fly a Hornet. Um, there's a joke that you're now a Hornet pilot, but you're not a fighter pilot. Um, <laughs> you then go on to the next phase, which is air to air phase. Um, and air to air phase starts with you know, the basics and builds up. And the basics of air to air is basic fighter maneuvers. Yeah, mm-hmm. B is the basic part. BFM that's dog fighting. So learning how to do one v one dog fighting. Um, so just going out there. You know, the, the student in one aircraft with the instructor in his back seat and another instructor in the other aircraft and learning how to do offensive fighter work, how to do defensive fighter work, um, how to do neutral um, uh, BFM, then into uh, what we call ACM, uh, air combat manoeuvring, which is 2v1, so two guys manoeuvring against one bad guy and how to coordinate that. And then you move into the intercepts, which is you know, 1v1 intercepts, long range, out at 60 miles, running in, shooting long-range weapons at each other converting into BFM, um, daytime, nighttime, IMC, and then into 2v2s. Yeah, so you're now manoeuvring with a wingman. And then you'll have a look at doing 4v4s and uh, air-to-air gunnery. That's the end of air-to-air phase. And it's basically an exposure um, and be safe. That's all they're looking for in that time. Yeah. Exposing you to the role and making sure that you're safe. You don't go blind all the time. You're not trying to run into your lead all the time. You're not shooting your lead um, instead of the bad guy, um, all that sort of stuff. You then move into the final phase, which is air-to-ground phase, which is employing air-to-ground weapons. So once again, starts with the basics, which is application bombing, going round and around the pattern, dropping practice bombs on a target, you know, in all angles, 10 degree, 30 degree, 45 degree, high drag, low drag weapons, um, radar, radar offset weapons, um, and then pop-up attacks. So rather than just going around and around, running in at low level, pulling up, diving, attacking, threat defending off target areas. Uh, and then you look at how to use those skills as the culmination, which is close air support uh, with a wingman, um, you know, attacking things on the ground near army, uh, army personnel on the ground. Interdiction, long-range strike going in with a two-ship or a four-ship with guys trying to attack you where you have to do the air-to-air work, run in, drop your bombs, turn around, come back, fight your way out, air-to-air, and then uh, and then go home. Um, and then finally, dropping um, live weapons. So practice bombs are live weapons in the fact they come off the aircraft, but they don't do a lot of damage. <laughs> they just have white phosphorus, the little puff of smoke. Uh, we drop high explosives, HE, as the final couple of missions, um, because that's where the pressure is. That's the, You can kill someone now. Mm. And you've got to be able to make the decision to drop the bomb on the right spot uh, and where the consequences of it being correct. Um, and that's where you've got to be able, you've got to have the confidence to do that, otherwise you're not going to be any good as a fighter pilot, so that's the graduation mission. That's a six-month period. After that, you go to the squadron and realise you know nothing <laughs> and you spend the next the next number of years learning how to do it properly. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to take in for six months, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 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 let's talk. Uh, let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the aircraft. Uh, if you can explain that to our viewers. Oh, the Hornet. Um, you know, it's a. It's got a lot of strengths. Um, you know, it's a. It's it's probably uh, one of the tightest turning aircraft out there. Uh, it. Um, you know, it 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 can really turn tightly uh, in in dogfights. So everyone's always scared of a Hornet in a dogfight because mm. it really turns really tightly. The weakness, it does have quite a few weaknesses, um, to tell you the truth. Uh, weaknesses is its uh, payload. It doesn't carry a great deal. Um, you know, we're talking classic Hornet is what I flew. Um, 
it doesn't go that fast. So it's not a fast fighter. You know, yes, you can fly it supersonic, but it won't super cruise. You know, you've got to be using a lot of fuel to, to be supersonic. And if you are supersonic, using a lot of fuel, it doesn't carry a lot of fuel in the first place to do that. And the last thing I'd say is that engines were never big enough. But I don't think I don't think you ever find a fighter pilot who says the, this this plane's got too much power. <laughs> so um, for me, I was always frustrated that you know I just wish I had a little bit more power uh, in a dogfight, so I could really capitalise on the turning performance of the aircraft. To uh, whereas you're fighting a a wide mouth Viper or a um, or a or a big engine um, F-15 like a you know a, a GE 129 uh, F-15. Um, if you didn't kill it in the first little in the first first bit by using your nose authority, uh, they were then going to march away from you and come around and kick your bum because even though their turn circle was heaps bigger, they just had so much power they could just keep motoring and motoring where you'd be running out of power in an F eighteen. So I'm thinking, was uh, the Australians they had the A model, didn't they? Is that correct? That's correct. The A model and the B model for training, and then yeah. we upgraded the aircraft through its life to effectively make it. The same capability as the C's and the D's, anyway. Yes, because I want to talk about the cockpit. Was it a comfortable environment? Uh, it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a. I never had any problems with it. You know, it's um, it's uh, you know, it can get hot, but it's um, yeah, it's a modern cockpit. You know, it's a glass cockpit. It was one of the first full glass cockpit aircraft out there. Um, you know, it was all HOTAS. It was a small cockpit, and not as small as a Viper, but much smaller than the F-15 because I flew the F-15 for a number of years as well. Um, and it, yeah, it's, but it was a very well organised cockpit. Um, the air conditioning was great. Um, you know, it's a, it was a, it was a nice plane to be to be seated. You know, I, everyone gets a bit of a sore back from flying fighters, uh, just because you, you're generally sitting quite upright. Um, the F-16 not so much, but uh, yeah, the, the F-18 you're definitely sitting very upright. Um, and you know, for, that's really for ejection purposes. If you have to eject, you need to be sitting in an upright, very upright position. Um, but what that means is that you're always, you know, you're always getting lower lumbar mm. issues because you're leaning forward all the time. You're almost hunched over. Uh, and the stick was reasonably a reasonably heavy stick, fly by wire, but it had a lot of springs in it. So when you pulled back hard on the G, you'd also be pulling yourself forwards in that sitting position, which would yeah. then give you some uh, lower back issues. So. You find most um, most F eighteen pilots um, have got some sort of um, lower back and possibly neck issues from from the the BFM. And you mentioned it just uh, briefly earlier, but I want to talk about DACT in the Hornet. How did it fare against you know like you kind of briefly mentioned the F 15s the F sixteens? Uh, did you fly against the Brits even? Yeah, so I, I did a lot of DACT with the F eighteen. Um, you know, it's like all things. You know, it, it comes down to the operator. You know, there's uh, there's times where you know a, a lowly hawk can uh, get in the mix and uh, create a whole heap of damage against uh, some poorly operated F-18s. Um, you know, it, the I've got to admit for the for long range the long range interdiction stuff. You know, you, you never wanted to come up against a Block 50 Viper uh, um, simulating a um, you know a Sukhoi or something like that with uh, you know, uh, you know sim- simulating some um, some some uh, long range weapons. Um, yeah, there's there's scary things. You know, I remember specifically from um, you know when I was doing my fighter weapons course. You know, our, our version of Top Gun, this mm-hmm. FCI course. Um, you know that we were loaded up, you know, big time loaded up with a lot of weapons, and the jet the jet's struggling even at thirty thousand feet. And we had Vipers out there as um, as adversary. And um, <clears throat> I remember I was leading the four ship, trying to go somewhere with bombs on and tanks on and all sorts <laughs> of stuff, and then. 
our radars aren't even seeing it because the viper's so small. And but off the distance, there's four contrails just screaming, mm. screaming at us. And you're doing finally we get contact on their radars. They're doing Mach two at like fifty five thousand feet. And it's wow. like <laughs> this is going to be impossible because they've got now they can throw big long weapons at that height and that speed. So we threw a few weapons out. We uh, we aborted because we're using AMRAMs. We aborted to let those uh, launch and leave tactics try and disrupt them. They def- I think they absorbed a shot or two, and then there's still two Vipers just chasing us down. We're doing point nine, running away bravely, and they're doing Mac two, coming screaming down the hill. It's like, well, you can't run away from that, so you have to you have to turn around and merge with them. And then they come blitzing through the merge, like doing Mac two, and you can't even turn with them now because by the time you turn to shoot them, they're gone. It's like, Ugh. so there's there's those limitations you have with an F eighteen that was, as I say, a slow fighter, um, but if you ended up um, having to merge with somebody or you had to do a visual engagement or you ended up on the deck having to jink against a weapon system. So the Hornet's very, very survival aircraft against a surface-to-air threat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantastic aircraft in that regard. So it just depends on what your role is and who you're fighting and what they're doing with their aircraft. And say so Hawk can uh, ruin your day, but you know, I could go out there against F-16s and F-15s all day if I, if I was in the right mindset and I had the correct role that I was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And did you work with uh, 111s much? Yep, spent a lot of time working with them. Um, yeah, that was part of one of my roles was to escort F-111s because if you know Australia was ever going to use the F-111s, guess what? They're going to have uh, us uh, escorting them in and out of the uh, the target area. So um, it was a reasonably large part of my job was you know, developing tactics and training with those tactics for escorting and supporting F-111s. And um, typically, what that would involve is um, you know, you'd, you'd clear a path and uh, and put pickets up with with jets to set set up caps and put what we call a tar cap target a target combat air patrol overhead the target area and then have the F-111 run in. Yeah, if you could, you'd keep them at medium altitude, you know, out of the low level threat environment, and have them run in supersonic, do their weapon work while we sat mm. around keeping the threats at bay, and then you'd get them to just light their burners and uh, just run out at Mach 2 and just like go and then we would, we would then come up behind them just shooting everyone off the tail and take ourselves back out of the target area. So it was a, it was always a big complex system. You know, the F-111 was you know, primarily designed to try and go in unescorted was their plan originally when it was designed back in the late 60s, early 70s. It was a, it was a low-level night strike platform that went in as a single ship unaided um, but through the 80s and the 90s, it was proven that, you know, with, when you've got MiGs out there and, yeah. and, um, and uh, Sukhois, that you can't just send an F-111 on its own. Um, you've got to have support for it, and that, that was our job, was to support it in and out of the target area. I bet there was some great banter between the Hornet guys and the F-111 guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah that's, but what do you call it? It's called, you did call it a B-111, didn't you? Because the F's incorrect. <laughs> Ah, yes. <laughs> we'll call it a B-111, yeah. But uh, we'll move on from that, uh, Matt. But did you ever fly the Hornets on uh, live operations? No, I didn't. I didn't fly the Hornet on live ops. So, you know, obviously we did. I did live. Oh, I did, um, but not um, not combat ops. So I did operations in it, um, but we, I didn't deploy any weapons or um, anything like that. It was uh, more combat air patrols for... Um, for major political events and things like that to make sure that there was no, uh, nothing went wrong. So we'll just eye in the sky. No one even knew we were there sort of thing. 
um, but with live weapons and authority to shoot if things went bad. Um, but I didn't do any um, combat operations in the F-18. Mm -hmm. Well, did you fly on any, uh, or did you get invited on any live uh, big man exercises like Red Flag or anything like that? Uh, yes, I did quite a few um, big exercises in the uh, in the Hornet, so um, which is you know, yeah in the northern end of Australia and you know, the east coast of Australia. You know, always large exercises. You know, your pitch blacks and your mm -hmm. and your um, you know, aces north and um, you know uh, um, Arnhem thunders. Um, then Cope thunders up in um, up in the uh, Asian you know, Southeast Asia sort of area. So. Up in uh, Indonesia and th in Thailand, um, in Singapore and Malaysia, um, and then did uh, exercises in the US as well. Um, and this is all just on the Hornet. Uh, in um, uh, yeah, that was actually Cope Thunder, I believe it was up in Alaska, uh, op operating out of uh, Arlson Air, Air Force Base, um, and yeah, those sort of operations. I didn't do a red flag in the F-18. Um, but I spent you know, a reasonable amount of time in Nellis in, in other aircraft. And I'm sure you have plenty, but have you got maybe a couple of stories that stick out in your mind from flying the Hornet that you can share with our viewers? Oh, yeah. What sort of story are you looking for? Anything that you think is a good story for our viewers, I'll let you pick, man. <laughs> oh, okay. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, let's see. There was one, so I was in Darwin, and I was doing some... Um, DACT, so dissimilar air combat tactics uh, with two F-16s. Um, it was uh, it was one v two ACM, so air combat maneuvering, so visual maneuvering. So I was on my own in a Hornet, and I had two F-16s who were trying to they were trying to maneuver together to kill me, and I was trying to be on my own to kill them. <laughs> uh, so we're maneuvering away, maneuvering away, and then um, I had uh, Betty uh, Diddle Diddle Betty, who's our um, the voice in the cockpit with us. Uh, she says, uh, engine left, engine left. And I look down, it's got left engine flame out and left engine's rolling mm. back. And I've, I've actually flamed out an engine. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's not good. So I uh, unload, I, mean, I was a high after at the time trying to gun an F-16. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I unload the aircraft because often you'll flame the engine out. You know, not often you'll flame the engine out. Often if the engine has flamed out, it's because of high angle of attack and disruptive airflow in through the intake. So I unload the aircraft at the same, the same time, retarding the left throttle and Called knock it off, knock it off. Uh, had a flame out, and then there's like this eruption of adrenaline on the radio with the two vibers going. Roger, we're at sixteen thousand feet. Home base is at twelve miles. We've got a glide ratio of this. Mayday, mayday, mayday. I'm like, whoa, whoa, guys, it's all right. I've still got another engine left. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. So yeah, just get these viper guys. That if they hear flame out, that's like boom. We're gonna have to eject. So it was like. So good, dude. I'm going to go home now and have a cup of coffee. You guys stay out here and play. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so how many hours did you manage to get on the Hornet, Matt? I ended up with about 2,000 hours on the on the F-18. So, uh, yeah, which you know, is about it's about 10 years of, uh, of flying. And, um, yeah, like I said, it, about 10 years, yeah. So you generally average about 200 hours a year. Um, it just doesn't sound like a lot, but they're pretty high quality hours, especially when you're doing the BFM, yeah, because they're only point pipes. Um, so, you know, averaging three to four hours a week is, uh, is about right for a, for a corner.